And welcome back to Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs, where we talk all the P's of pelvic health, pooping, peeing, physical activity, personal development, pain, and pleasure. Today, I'm really excited to introduce you all to Brienne Showman. Brienne is a obstacle course race and running coach, a functional movement specialist, a running technique specialist, barefoot training specialist, athlete herself, and doctor of physical therapy. Dr. Bree's mission is to create highly functional and resilient athletes through proper training, or more simply put, her mission is to help you train and live without pain. She also helps athletes resolve injuries in less time by getting to the root of the problem, improving movement patterns, and incorporating proper training to help the body to move more efficiently, more powerfully, and in less injury-prone ways. Bree and I met several years back when I was working at my first job, and I was always really intrigued about her because she's just has a strong presence and looks super strong. And someone like myself who is into CrossFit, I heard she was into CrossFit, just made me curious about what she does in her training and so on. So today I wanted to bring her on to chat about what she sees in her athletes specific to their feet and their ankles with their training, as well as hear what she does from a nutritional standpoint in her when she's coaching her clients. So in this episode, we do talk about errors that athletes make with respect to their training, with respect to their feet and their ankles, as well as nutrition. We also talk about her personal story with a deficiency that started impacting her life. And it's something that a lot of us may be doing and not even realizing it. So I'm super excited for you guys to listen to today's episode. To contact Bree, check out the show notes. All the info is there. And then remember our disclaimer, the information used in this podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only and should not be used in substitute of medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. So let's get on to today's show. Hi, Brienne. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have you. I know that you have invaluable knowledge that my listeners can really benefit from. So thanks again. Why don't we start off by telling, uh, tell us about yourself. What do you do? Yeah, so I am, I am a physical therapist by trade, but I am more of a coach now, specifically OCR. Um, so obstacle course racers, for those who are not familiar, um, think Spartan, Tough Mudder, like all those crazy things that people do. Um, <laughs> so that is primarily what I do. I really, several years ago, um, I just got sick, mostly of the insurance world, but I got sick of our reactive healthcare system, or what I call our sick care system, um, that were just constantly treating symptoms. And I started seeing patterns in injuries and these patterns is like, 
99% of these injuries don't have to happen if we moved our bodies better and if we trained better. So I really started switching over at that time to how can we get on the front end of this and minimize the risk of injury rather than just fixing broken people all the time. Oh yeah. So you transition from the deep, well, you still have your DPT and it's an invaluable knowledge, but you're more on the coaching front, which can you, would you agree that people it's a, it must be a subconscious process, but people behave differently when they are a patient versus a client. Yes. It is weird. It's like they're, they come in when they know that they're going to see a healthcare provider and they're like, fix me. And then they go to a coach and they're like, tell me what I need to learn and what do I need to do? The same person. I, so I am with you. I'd rather be on the more of on the front end than the back end and not, I'm tired of the reactive medicine. Yeah. Very cool. So you own get your fix PT and get your fix nutrition. Is that right? Are they together? Are they separate? They're together now. I just because it was when I started them, I was doing like separate nutrition coaching and separate, like that was when I was more like PT versus coaching. And then it got to the point I'm like, there's no, it made no sense to have them separate. So I actually just got rid of get your fixed nutrition was a DBA anyway. So I got rid of that and just have everything under get your fixed PT. Very cool. How did you get into the nutritional side of things? It's always been something I've been interested in. Um, I was that I was not that college kid who ate all the cheap crap food just because I had to like live on a budget. Like I ate actual food. I, if I bought anything that was like bread, tortillas, anything like that, I would read the labels. And if I couldn't like go to the shelf and buy every single ingredient in there, I was not going to purchase it. So I've always known like there was a benefit to actually eating real food. And then um, as I got more into kind of started diving more into it, I just started realizing how beneficial certain foods are to our recovery and our training and how detrimental other foods are because of the inflammation they create in the body. And I just started diving deeper into all of that with like podcasts and reading books and talking to people smarter than me and, and just really like figuring all that stuff out. That's really cool. I feel like you, the, the reading the label part is such a learning experience in itself. And when you actually get into it and see what some of these ingredients are, I, oh my gosh, the other day read, I've no longer eat cliff bars for the most part, but I have just some extras that the other day I didn't have anything else. So I just ate that done with the whole 30, but I'm still doing it. And, um, it had every version of sugar that you could actually have in it. There was, is oats and and sugar and chocolate, which the chocolate isn't even real. So yeah, the reading the labels huge. So what do you do with the nutritional side is, do you do coaching with that? Do you do macros? And is there a certain style that you, or, or certain plan that you, I know we don't like these words, but I I can't think of any of (laughs) those. As I always stay away from the word diet. I hate that word. Um, we're, we're good with the rest. Um, so, it, you know, when I am doing my one-on-one coaching, it's very custom to that person. So um, like a lot of people I deal with, um, with injuries are under fueling themselves, which also is what created to some of their injuries. 
um, or their performance, they just don't have the energy because they're under fueling themselves. So a lot of people, it's like, let's get you eating more food first. And then from there, it's also the conversations of like, what foods possibly are creating inflammation in your body? And let's kind of test out eliminating those. What things can we incorporate that help recovery? So thinking about the like anti-inflammatory foods, the um, higher antioxidant foods and those things. And how can we incorporate those um, into your everyday life and make it so it's something that you can do into your lifestyle, not something that's very forced and difficult to do. I love that that make it part of your lifestyle, because if you don't, if you don't integrate it and you just, yeah, like you said, force it, it doesn't stick. It doesn't work. So what's, uh, I remember this is probably over a year ago now that you were posting on Facebook about something. You asked the question, does your energy tank at a certain period of time mm -hmm. of the day? And I was like, uh, yeah in my head. So it's, do you remember what I'm talking about? I do. Yes. And can you talk about that? Like, why is it that certain, that a, a lot of people's energy just hits, hits the, the ground and what can they do about it? Yeah. There's a couple things that are going are that could be going on there. One is simply, you could be under fueling. Um, we, especially as athletes, we need a lot more food in us than a lot of times we think we do. If we're eating healthy, we're typically not eating as much as we think we are because fruits and vegetables, especially vegetables, don't have as many calories as what you think. Like I have this huge salad every once in a while and it's literally like 500 calories and it's like a mixing bowl full. <laughs> so it's like, and well, with that said, like just the vegetables and that sort of thing, I add avocado and like all sorts of fatty stuff to it. But that's a big thing is under fueling. The other thing that plays into a lot of this when we're talking about energy crashes is carbohydrates. We just had this conversation yesterday and then I happened to read the same thing in a book last night. We do not need as many carbohydrates for one that people think we do. And technically like we could live without carbohydrates completely. Protein we absolutely need. Fat we actually absolutely need. We technically don't need carbohydrates, even though everything for the past decades has told us we need carbohydrates. So a lot of times what's happening, and not that you can't eat carbs, but what's happening is we eat carbs for breakfast. We eat carbs for lunch. Well, your insulin cycle is going to crash at some point. This is also going then with your hormone cycles. And so that middle of the day, mid-afternoon type thing, we hit that crash because our insulin has completely dropped um, and our glucose levels are completely dropped. So if we change up how we're eating things, not like I said, not that you can't have those carbs, but maybe you put them in at dinner time rather than at lunch. At lunch, do more of your vegetables, protein, fats, that sort of thing. So you don't have those big sugar spikes. That seems pretty simple. Wow. I, now that I have taken out the carbs, oh my gosh, no energy tank. Like I kid yeah. you not Brie. in the morning, I wake up 415 and I am good to go until I'm ready to like wind down for my day. So I, I believe it now. I am so happy that the first thing you said was under fueling. 
I say that over and over again with my clients who are moms for the most part. And um, even women that come in with pelvic pain and different like vaginal tissue disorders, I'm like, let's, let's do it. Just a track your food. I suspect this, I, it's always under fueling. And I'm like, your metabolic system's just not functioning well. Yeah. And, um, what I see as one of the drivers as, of these hormonal shitstorms is a version of the female athlete tryout or relative energy deficiency syndrome. And it's just not as like with that disorder to the listeners, it's a scale of low to, or of, of severe to mild cases. And those mild cases are what slips through the cracks. Severe, you're like having heart problems and, and severe issues with your bones and stuff. But the mild cases, you just you can be asymptomatic except you're like plateau. Would you say, Brie, you plateau your, or your performance actually drops, subtle injuries, anything else you want to add? Yeah, I'd say that's one of the mild ones is, yeah, just that plateau, whether it's performance or if they were trying to get leaner, it's plateau in the weight loss. Um, these weird like aches and pains, injuries popping up. Yeah, those are typically the more the subtle ones. How do your clients respond when you say they're under fueling let's say if they have an underlying body dysmorphia or body image issue um I get the deer in the headlights (laughs) and the you want me to do what (laughs) um yeah it's not a because most times by this point it's like they've continued to reduce their calories and because like the natural equation calories in calories out like I get it like at at the base, it is a math equation, but, um, when you've minimized your calories that much, like your body's literally like shutting itself down. So, um, it's definitely a deer in the headlights look of like trying to get them to eat more. So it's definitely then a really like fine balance of how do we start adding food in, in order to like not overwhelm the person, not overwhelm the body, but start getting more energy in. Okay. That makes sense. So gra- gradually introducing calories and more calories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I get the same look and they're like, I ha- it, yeah, it's a, it's a delicate approach because there's a lot of things that we don't necessarily know from their past that they don't go right into detail with. And so, yeah. Okay. Now, we had a conversation when we were paddle boarding about your own ex the, changing things up with how you ate, because that day you had like, you had different food than I did. I didn't have terrible food, but it definitely wasn't as whole as yours. And then you talked about some of the things that you were playing around with. I, I forget exactly what can we, could we go back and talk about that? journey of yours? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've had quite a journey with my nutrition. I, um, I was the like person through high school and college, both that's kind of like you, like 
as a runner, it's like, you just have to go to the bathroom during your runs, have like, you get the runner's shots. Like this thing is like, it happens to runners. Um, you know, eventually you start realizing like, maybe the body's not supposed to do this. Maybe we should look into this. So I really started looking into food intolerances, um, what my body doesn't respond to and that sort of thing. Um, so I, this was like, what, maybe 12 years ago now. Um, but then like over time, the body changes. And so as years had gone on, it had to adjust different things. As I noticed, like now I can tell if my body's not responding right. Um, around the time we were paddle boarding, uh, let's say about a year prior, I started, I found out the reason my iodine levels had tanked was because of the foods I was eating. I was eating foods that basically cause the body not to absorb iodine. So even though I was on high iodine supplements, my body wasn't absorbing any of it. So I spent a year basically fully eliminating all those foods out. And it's a lot of like healthy fruits and vegetables, nuts, seeds, all this stuff that like you think are healthy for you and are healthy for you. Um, so I spent a year fully eliminated all of those until my iodine levels became normal again, and then started reintroducing them back in. Um, and then at that time, like I can still, um, I did reintroduce them back in my iodine did drop just a little bit, but not as severely. So I still am on an iodine supplement. I'm off my thyroid medication I was on though, um, that I was on at the same time and, um, have really like gotten everything nutrition wise kind of back under control again. That's right. The iodine. Oh yeah. my gosh. So can you, was carrots one of them? So <laughs> the carrots was another situation. I, um, so during the summer, cause this was summertime I remember this. during the summer, like I'm all about like raw foods don't feel like cooking, don't want to make anything hot. And I was very much like on the go quite a bit. So I was eating a lot of carrots and within a two week span, my hairdresser and my dermatologist both told me my skin was orange. So I like took all carrots and vitamin A foods out of my eating for several months in order to like let those levels drop. That's right. I think I had carrots that day and that's what started the conversation. <laughs> yeah. How about foods that deplete iodine? And I, I remember saying I had no idea. You know, I didn't either. Um, this was kind of a, my, so my naturopath does all the tests and everything and we kept noticing it tanking. And so through that, we we're trying to figure that out. I reached out to another naturopath I know and just like, hey, do you have any ideas? And he's like, look into this. And it was, they're called goiterogenic foods. Um, and so I looked into it and I was reading through this list and I was like, all right, pretty much everything I'm eating on a regular basis. Um, when you eat them in raw form, it actually makes it worse. Like when it's cooked, it takes some of that, those enzymes out. But when you eat it in raw form, it makes it worse. Um, one of them is spinach. And I was having like two to three cups of spinach in a smoothie every single morning for like the past, like two years. <laughs> um, so like, I literally did this to myself and I know I did, <laughs> but like, who knew, but yeah, it's like kale, spinach, like, um, there's, man, so listed like 20 vegetables, 20 fruits, most nuts and seeds. I think Brazil nuts and pecans are the only ones that aren't on the list for nuts and seeds. Um, oh, and sunflower seeds. Um, 
like cocoa, flax. I think hemp might be on there. Like it's crazy the stuff that's on it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you did it to yourself, but your the intention was to eat well. Shoot. Yeah, exactly. I, I need to look into mine because I yeah, I eat just nuts, seeds, and kale, spinach. <laughs> Jeez. Just don't eat like three cups of spinach every single day for about three years and you'll be good, I think. Good advice. I'll bet <laughs> a lot of people that listen to this episode wouldn't know that either. So no, not at all. Sounds like you got your level, you mentioned you got your levels tested from a naturopath. So would you recommend if someone, what made you suspect? Was it just the, the, the runner's troughs that got you to sus- look into it? So it was just like, I've all like, remember I started going to a naturopath just to kind of like figure out just like everything like I've always had digestive issues so I'm like how can we improve these issues um and so that started it she naturally always tests for thyroid and like she does a full panel more than most physicians do and a lot more detailed um so that's when everything started back then was just like looking into digestive issues and then um we had like, she knows some like low thyroid stuff. So we've kind of been like, we were playing with that all the time. And then, yeah, more recently in the past several years, my iodine just started like tanking, just like steadily dropping no matter how much supplement I was on. So. Wow. So interesting. So no wonder why you have such an interest in nutrition besides it's, I mean, it is fascinating once you take the time to appreciate the process of it. Changing gears just a little bit or a lot of it. I want to talk about feet and ankles now. How did you get interested in feet and ankles? Uh, So I had my first year of PT school. So this would have been 2003. I had a bad ankle sprain, like just going for a run, stepped down from a curb wrong, rolled my ankle. Um, Was misdiagnosed by two physicians basically they told me it's just a sprain it's just a sprain nothing's wrong um didn't re like attempted to rehab it didn't work finally went to another doctor he's like yeah something's not right um did surgery he realized once he was in there that the ligaments were completely shredded so he had to repair them to attach them again um from there even though i never had foot problems prior to that i was put in orthotics because you know that's what they do um (laughs) which I was still very like, I was in PT school at the time. Um, so still early on, didn't really understand how the foot works yet. But I also realized when I was in those orthotics, my knee pain that I used to have had gone away. So I was like, okay, this solved that problem. So initially when I was a PT, I started like, all right, like we can address alignment issues and body issues with orthotics. And then the Vibrams came out and it started to be me being a curious therapist and just curious person. I got very intrigued by this. So I'm like, you know what? We're just going to buy them and see what happens within six months. Actually within a couple months, I was running in them completely no knee pain within six months. I was no longer wearing my orthotics at all. Um, like at work or anything. So I like, that's what got me then into like foot strength and foot health and how the foot works like matters and really c- controls more of our body than, than what we think. And 
So that started it all. And ever since then, it's just been a more of a passion of mine of just like, let's figure this stuff out. Wow. Yeah. That I, a lot of people are, you know, so, oh, I have my orthotics. I always have to have my orthotics, but the answer isn't always that it's a good, it's a fine starting point, but not end all be all it's wow. Pretty amazing that you made that transition so quick. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I have to say, I agree with the feet. Like we, I, I always think back when my mom would yell, yell at me for dragging my feet. And I, even though she had no idea what she was talking about for, other than from a posture standpoint, she's right. I was so, we're so lazy through our feet. We don't even use them when we're, when we're walking the, the, the thing that we're doing all the time. Also it's, it takes effort to use them, keep them active during squatting and in different weightlifting or, or just physical activities. So I like them also because of the connection to the pelvic floor. And oftentimes I will start at the feet before giving any cues for the pelvic floor. Do you find that, what do you see and how do you incorporate feet and pelvic health with your athletes? Yeah, you know, there's so much. So to kind of go, not to kind of go into how the body is, like we have essentially four domes and they all interact with each other. So we have the foot arch of our foot. And then above that, we have our pelvic floor. Above that, we have our diaphragm. And then we also can include the roof of our mouth as that final dome. And they all interact together. And so um, a lot of times, like if someone doesn't know, like, or they all have to be synchronized. So the body learns timing essentially. And it knows like, and it creates its patterns. So like before we step, before we get our foot down, our body knows milliseconds before what it has to do. So it starts tightening up to different areas. If we never train that connection though, or if we've had injuries or if we've had babies or if we've had things happen, so we lose that connection. It's like, we no longer have that connection between the foot and the pelvic floor and the foot, the pelvic floor and the diaphragm. And so we really have to like start connecting the dots again from the base, which is that foot. That's so well stated. Yeah. And it's easy to start there because you could see your feet versus starting from like the pelvic floor where a lot of people are completely, completely disconnected with. Yes. So let's talk now. What are your thoughts on when people have issues like plantar fasciitis? Almost every person says, oh, I have plantar fasciitis when they come in. I'm like, (laughs) sure you do. (laughs) <laughs> and the flat feet. Don't forget the flat feet. Um, <laughs> so most times, not every single time, but most times any foot issue is due to lack of strength, lack of use. Um, and also we need to look at what's going on with the hips as well, because there is a lot of interplay, but um, yeah, the majority of the time, like plantar fasciitis, Achilles stuff, perineal tendonitis, like anything that's going on with that foot is because of the foot's weak. And it's also being squished in shoes all day. Like it has no way to stretch itself out. 
Um, so if we start like strengthening the foot, paying attention to foot health and really like learning how the foot's supposed to work, we can eliminate a lot of these foot issues that are going on. So what are your thoughts on the standard prescription from a physician or someone else of just stretching when it comes to plantar fasciitis? It definitely does not work. Um, for a couple of reasons, a number of reasons. One, you, if, if it does work at all, it's temporary because it's addressing the symptoms. Um, two, a lot of times plantar fasciitis is given as a diagnosis for any pain on the bottom of the foot. And sometimes even the back of the heel, like I'll get that diagnosis from people. Um, but there's so many other things that can be going on there. So like I saw one person recently, she was given the plantar fasciitis diagnosis and it literally was her post-tip um, was causing like all these other compensations. So we always have to figure out like, what is the actual cause of that pain there? And finally, like the plantar fascia can't stretch. Like if you stretch it, you're just tearing it. Like that's how it works. So any sort of stretching you do for the plantar fascia itself is typically going to make it worse. I have to agree. And I don't like to immediately outright say you need to do something more than stretching, but eventually I get there with people. You're a lot nicer than I am. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, it's, it's just sometimes I I'm just a little bit more gingerly about how I say it, but sometimes I'm not, I'm just like straight up, like stop doing that. (laughs) So what one struggle that I have is, well, it's not really a struggle and it's more of just the execution at all of it all. Whenever I see someone, I'm like, okay, you want to run, but you're literally five weeks postpartum. Let's start at your feet. Let's do things to strengthen your feet. You just underwent a major postural shift and that blends. Like I do oral work to treat the pelvic floor oftentimes in addition to the pelvic floor, uh, just because of those diaphragms. And so trying to get them to do all these things, they're coming to see a pelvic health PT, it can be a struggle. How do you incorporate them into your training with your clients that are already, you know, maybe going, doing OCR training, they're going to CrossFit, they have all their things and they They're like, I don't know where I could put this in, in my life. You know, some stuff you do need to just make time for, but a lot of stuff can be incorporated. So if we're talking the short foot exercise, which essentially is getting your tripod of your foot on the floor, gently pushing those toes down. Like that's something that we essentially, once you learn how to do that, should be incorporating into everything, deadlifts, squats, lunges, like you name it. So once someone learns how to do that, it's like, okay, we don't necessarily need to do that all the time, but like be aware of doing that with your lips. Um, Things like toe strengthening while you're standing at your kitchen sink or cutting up vegetables or doing anything standing, like you can be working on those. Um, So as much as I can, I try to get help people like figure out how to fit it into their day for some of those things. And then others, it's just a matter of it like truly is rehab type exercises or more specific things that we need to do for strengthening. So 
let's figure out how we can at least create like three days a week that you can work on these things. That's reasonable. And they don't really take that long. And once you can get the short foot exercises in and integrate that in, that makes a whole different, a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say are the most common ankle? Do you notice like with, with training, I, I used to be really picky and sometimes I'd be like, so picky about inversion through the ankle without the toe, like the MTPs extending. And I, I mean, now I, I try to, I'm a better teacher, so I can, I can get it, but are you pretty strict about like the anterior tip without the, the extensor digitorum longus and, and those things? Are you that specific? You know, I used to be very specific when I was doing like different arch exercises on like, let's not let that anterior to be active at times I still will, but I look at, I'm doing it more from a functional standpoint now, as far as like that post tip is most active when we are on our toe on a single leg. So like, I think I'm more of a functional aspect now is like, of how can we actually strengthen this in the patterns that we need to strengthen it? Um, as well as teach the person to be able to control pronation and supination. We need both. Pronation is not bad. Overpronation is bad. Pronation is not bad. We need both. We often don't know how to actually control that, especially if we've been in orthotics. So that's the other thing I do with a lot of my exercises is they look like their diagonal pattern lunges or things like that for the hip, but it's actually like, okay, this is the movement. Think about what your foot is doing on the ground through that movement. I love that. Yeah. Just using classic exercises and just best making it specific to the foot. So what are some things you, what are some training errors and runners and OCR athletes with respect to their feet besides just lack of strengthening that you are noticing? I think a big thing, just training error in general, when it comes to runners is not having the strength in a single leg, like imbalance in the single leg. So many times I work with an injured runner and it's like, they can't even stand on a single leg for like more than a couple seconds. If you can't do that under a fully controlled environment, you can't control it when you're landing five times your body weight on that single leg, probably on a heel strike, which you definitely can't control. Um, so first and foremost, it's like, we need to figure out like, how you get your balance on a single leg. And a lot of times that's barefoot, learning how to control that foot through that leg. Um, from there, training constantly in shoes is always going to be like, obviously I'm a barefoot person. Um, I see the benefits in being barefoot. Not that everyone has to run barefoot, but just doing more training at barefoot. So that foot really starts to learn how to work. Um, so when you are on your trails and you absolutely need some cushion in, in some shoes or something like that, your like foot still knows what to do with, with it. I think we can end the podcast there with the single leg. <laughs> Goodness gracious. The, the amount of pushback I get, uh, or the amount of, Oh, why do I have to train my balance? Like, this is boring in all uh, across all of my current clients 
And then the older population or like whenever I was more in a insurance setting, I'm like, you do, you only deserve to feel good if you do good for yourself and you don't have balance. So work on your balance. You're not, you don't deserve it. You have to practice it. Like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course your balance sucks. You never practice it. Yeah. It's crazy. And I have, um, I have a client right now. She had been through, I think she told me I'm her 18th clinician. Now, when she started, she definitely had like injury stuff. Um, went to a number of people. I actually then referred her to a colleague I know in her area who cleared up a lot of stuff, but then she was still having residual stuff going on. And I said, did the therapist ever work the one you're working with now, like ever dress your feet? No. So I've been working with her and working her foot. And within like two or three sessions, all the numbness tingling stuff she was having in her lower leg was gone. But through this whole conversation, she has like no balance, even though she was training single leg stuff, like just sitting on one leg, she had absolutely no balance. She's like, I've always had bad balance. I've, it's never something anyone's really addressed with me. And so it's just fascinating. Like, and when people start having these realizations, it kind of starts clicking with them as far as like, no wonder I'm injured. Like I can't even do this. Um, so especially on the athlete who's motivated, who wants to get past their injuries, like they, it starts clicking for them of like, no wonder this is going on. I can't even stand on a single leg. I can't control my foot. Like I can't do anything. Wow. Yeah. Would that be one of your classic success stories? Is there any yeah. others you want to share? My other, um, like I have a lot of them, but yeah, most people I work with are the ones who have like seen multiple practitioners and like nothing worked. They had the classic therapy. They had the dry needling. They had the scraping. They've done all that and like no change in their pain or very minimal. Um, usually once I work with them two to four sessions, that pain is gone. They're back to running again. Maybe not the same distances quite yet because they haven't ran for months, but they're at least back to the activities that they, that they enjoy doing. And then it's a matter of progressing them up. Um, but yeah, there was one I worked with I think I got her about four months after her injury Two therapists weren't able to get rid of her pain. Um, within four sessions, her pain was gone through, what was it? Four months later, she ran her goal marathon, essentially the marathon she was training for when she got injured before. Wow. Um, and once I started working with her and she started running again, like, because we had addressed all of the like strength deficits and everything. Um, she was hitting PRs just during her training runs all the time. That's awesome. I'm not surprised because you're, you're a great coach therapist, Brie. So what's, what would you, what have, what would, what tips would you give a mom about eight weeks, weeks postpartum who wants to get back to either trail running OCR or regular just distance running and they are not they're not released yet to run but they want to prepare to get back into it what would you what advice would you give from a nutritional and then a just ankle foot or whatever else prep yeah 
you know, and even like shortly after, like, obviously we don't want to do too much stressful strain on certain areas of the body right after we give birth, but there's no reason even a couple of weeks after you can't start working foot strength. You can't like, you can, you know, no reason that you can't start working hip strength and single leg balance and like all of those things, possibly things that you've haven't ever addressed that need to be addressed anyway. Um, so I would start early there. If you're at eight weeks and you haven't started any of that yet, absolutely start there. Start learning how to control your body on a single leg. Start learning how to control that foot. Um, as far as nutrition goes, like anything you can do to, I mean, heal the body for one, because the body is still healing. It went through a major trauma. So anything you can do to heal the body with foods is going to be super beneficial. Um, I'm always going to suggest turmeric with, for people either supplement or cooking with it. I cook with it a ton. Um, basil and oregano are also great anti-inflammatories. Um, when we're looking at food, pineapple is amazing. Um, berries, especially blueberries, very high antioxidants, anti-inflammatories. So incorporating things like that, just so your body can heal better, um, is going to be essential. Um, and then, especially if you're breastfeeding, making sure you're keeping your calories up. Like we want, like it's natural. We want to lose that baby weight, but at the same time, you need to keep those calories up to one, heal your body and to be able to produce some milk for your baby. For sure. Those are all great suggestions, especially because they're easy to do all of those things. They're not um, hard to do while you're with your baby and, and all the things that you mentioned from food, you just they're grab like grab and go type of thing, like the, the yeah. fruit, and then you just sprinkle it in what you're cooking. Awesome. So Brie, how is the, I, you gave me all your contact information that will be in the show notes. Is there, do you have a preferred method of, of contact or where you provide, you know, info for people if they want to learn more? Yeah. Easiest place I have, um, is probably my website, getyourfixpt.com. Um, I do a weekly blog post. So those are all up there. I also put out a podcast weekly myself. The link um, is on that page as well. Um, and then if you want to reach out to me, Brianne at getyourfixpt.com is going to be the easiest way. Awesome. Well, Brie, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your wisdom with regards to nutrition and this overall movement health, particularly more related to the foot and ankle, but we're looking at everything. Uh, I look forward to seeing what you continue to do here in Arizona, and hopefully we can collaborate soon. I, I won't be able to paddleboard with you anytime soon because my paddleboard was stolen, but maybe oh I can gosh. rent one. Holy cow. Yeah. But um, yeah, thank you so much. And if, one last question. Did we get real today, Brie? We did get real. Well, you guys, thank you so much for listening today. Until next time on Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs.